the sky ain't a worry in my mind. Looks like we're in the clear, clear, clear just to live in the What is going on you guys and welcome back to another video. My name is Brandon. I'm joined today with my father Mark. Hi dad. Hey Brandon. What's going on? Well, I'm just looking forward to uh a uh, healthy debate to chat with you today because I know the topic yeah. of today's video is going to be speaking of some of the differences that I have as an investor and you have as, a, as an investor. And uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of looking forward to having this discussion with you. Yeah, you would call it a debate, call it a discussion. I, I want to get this off the bat. You know, no bad blood here. Okay, Dad, I'm not here to try and hurt your feelings. I'm not going to take any <laughs> offense to what you have to say. But that's exactly it. In this video, we're actually going to be going over a couple of differences in our perspective on a couple of our recent videos. Mm -hmm. And the cases that we are going to talk about today are the Ford versus Tesla debate, which was a video. If you haven't checked out, you can feel free to go search that up on the channel. Also, the second part of our video, we're going to be talking about the selection of Chinese stocks and mm -hmm. our variance in opinion there. And I think, you know, one of the major objectives about bringing you on the channel was exactly for this, right? It's exactly to get these different angles and different viewpoints on a specific topic because in the world of investing, that's really the name of the game. Anytime you buy, someone's selling, you're always gonna hear two sides of the coin and it's not to say that one is always right, one's always wrong, it's just two perspectives. And yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, and, I we're able to achieve that today. Well, one of the things I remember most when you started working with me years ago now, um, was that difference of opinion and you came in with these fresh eyes and um, you know at the time no experience you, you had invested but you had no you know actual managing portfolios experience mm -hmm. and um, you know I had a more traditional uh, bent on things and I think we merged a lot of our thoughts I actually vividly mm -hmm. remember thinking gee I you know I was maybe a little bit stuck in my ways or you know sort of in a groove and you sort of jolted me a little bit with some of your ideas and I know today we're going to, or you know, at least in your argument, you're going to talk about some of the ideas I had that that you know you weren't in agreement with, and in some cases you were right, and, and in some cases I was, and and uh, yeah, it's like you say, if if I want to sell a stock, I got to find someone who's willing to buy it, and vice versa, and mm -hmm. so uh, there's always differences of opinions, and I think today we're going to talk about exactly uh, the, the intergenerational, uh, what some of those key differences are, and they're pretty stark, I think. Pretty stark, and I will just say as a quick disclaimer, guys, for the most part, 99% of the time, Dad, you and I, we align with what we think about. You were my mentor, you were everything, uh, everything that I know is kind of brought up through you, so in general, I'd say that we are very, very much in line and in tune with our beliefs in the market, but as you said, there are still these variants in, in perspectives, and I don't want to say we're playing devil's advocate here, like kind of picking sides, but it's just, we're going to be essentially playing a, a bit of a debate. And I, I'm um, guessing that from time to time over the years, Warren and Charlie have had disagreements as well, or had differences sure. of opinions. Uh, you know, we're certainly not on that scale. But no, that's, um, you know, what you say is, is true. And that's a healthy thing. I, I think two brains are better than one. Um, conceptually, on the objectives of investing, what it means, how to do it, um, we're really closely aligned. And even mm -hmm. some, you know, we, we talked about the Chinese stocks and when you talk about buying Chinese stocks, you still talk about buying them with a long-term investment horizon, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, you're not trading, you're not in and out, you're not flipping, you're trying to buy great companies and we'll get to this, but I think you've identified some awesome companies, which is not my issue at all. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, so yeah, we align, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, we have these subtle yeah. differences. Yeah, yeah, we'll call it subtle differences. But yeah. hey, why don't <laughs> we dive on into things, guys? Let's get into it. If you guys enjoy this video, 
do not hesitate to leave a thumbs up mm. and share your comments down below. We'd love to hear from you guys what you think, whether you agree with either one of us. But let, let's start this video off with going over the Ford versus Tesla debate. And this is referencing, for those that didn't catch our previous video, Mark, you made a video basically comparing the two. And correct me if I'm wrong, but mm. was the takeaway there mm -hmm. that Ford is currently a more attractive buy than Tesla? Is Ford a better stock to own? Would you Do you prefer Ford as a company over Tesla? Maybe, maybe clarify that a little bit before sure. I kind of get into what I have to say. Sure. The, the number one thing that I identified in that video right from the outset was if you had asked a lot of investors, if you go back a year, you know, which company has done better from a stock performance perspective, Ford or Tesla? I'm guessing 90% of the people would have said, well, Tesla, obviously. Mm -hmm. The day that I prepared that video, coincidentally, uh, I, you know, I pulled up a chart from that day and Tesla, or sorry, Ford had in fact, their one year number had outperformed Tesla during that time period. So that was kind of mm -hmm. the point is, you know, uh, we get into our, you know, our blinders and if I like Ford and if you like Tesla, the tendency is to just focus on that one investment without looking at the other side of the coin. So that was sort of the, the, the main thing. The other main mm -hmm. point of that was it's always, in my opinion, always comes back down to valuations. And a big chunk of that video was talking about if you look at, I'll admit, traditional valuations, mm -hmm. they're not even close, right? Ford, uh, or sorry, Tesla is Tesla. trading at such high values that I'm saying you need to be aware of those and be prepared for what that means. You know, if if, they're, mm -hmm. if you're saying their PE earnings up at like 140, then you know you know what that means, right? You you have you know that's a you're paying a dollar for 100. It's going to take you 140 years mm -hmm. to to get that dollar back if all mm -hmm. else it goes goes equal, as opposed to mm -hmm. let's say you know 12 or 14 for a a more traditional automaker. Yeah. I wasn't, and to, and to answer your question directly, was I saying that if I was buying today, I would pick Ford over Tesla? I very well might um, mm. do that today. I think right now it's a bit of a toss up. And you know, of, of all the videos I've contributed since I joined your channel, Brandon, I mean, clearly this was the most divisive when it comes to comments, uh, you know. As expected, with, of course, that's gonna be, but yeah. As expected, and for those who, um, for those who are Tesla bulls, um, go for it. I mean, I, I, my goal wasn't to say Tesla sucks. Uh, and, and I did make one, I, I, I worded something wrong. I think I said somewhere in Tesla, uh, with Tesla, I said their glory days are behind them. Mm. And I, I didn't mean to say that. What I meant to say was that the honeymoon is over, if that makes sense. Tesla has mm. been clearly the leader and the innovator, and they've had such a head start. My mm -hmm. point is the other automakers are all catching up on the technology perspective. I know even that comment will bring a lot of response or even that, yeah. you know, yeah. because, um, you know, so many people think that Tesla's so far ahead and, and so be it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I misspoke the glory days of Tesla. They have a long runway ahead of them. Uh, it's just right. the, the easy work that they've done so far as far as market share, that part is behind them. So I don't know if that answers your question, Brandon, but yeah, uh, yeah it did. It, it did. It clarified because, um, mm. yeah, it, it did clarify. I guess your stance and even in your little explanation there there were a couple of things that just kind of got me like oh maybe I don't necessarily agree with that yeah and yeah. maybe I'll start with one thing here sure. that you said right off the bat because you talked about Tesla not following traditional metrics you know yeah. how if you looked yeah. at art yeah if you you said what did you say there you said that if you looked at something like traditional metrics like a, like a PE ratio for example sure 
one of the things, one of the examples that comes to mind with me was a company like Amazon, yeah. which for decades going back, I think Amazon is one of those unique cases that did defy the traditional metrics. And if you did just base your research and your investment thesis off of, for example, the price to earnings multiple and said, well, it's too high, I'm not going to invest in this. Yeah. Well, to me, Amazon is a prime example of a stock that, again, it's not apples to apples. I know they reinvested a lot of their money and they, you know, basically chose not to take earnings for a long time. Sure. But that said, if you if you were to compare apples to apples in a sense, just because a stock has a high price to earnings multiple like Amazon or like Tesla, is it not possible to say that, you know, this company is unique in that sense and it doesn't play by the same rules that many other companies do? I would say absolutely, but those are really diamonds in the rough. And Amazon, and, mm -hmm. and one of, you know, I look back over, you, you see a lot of videos of my biggest mistakes as an investor. And and one of my biggest, I'll call it mistakes I ever made, I owned Amazon back in the day, made some money on it. And at the time that I sold out, I think the PE might've been up in the 400 range somewhere right, uh, right. At, at that lofty level. And as much as I felt and I wanted to continue to own this company, I just I just couldn't. I, ha I went back to my roots, if you will, of, of how mm. to manage money. Mm -hmm. And I sold out and you know, as we all know, for years, uh, your point, Brandon, um, Amazon wasn't profitable. So when you look at the PE, you know, you look at the price mm -hmm. to earnings and they um, artificially knocked their earnings down as all the money went back mm -hmm. into the company. So their PE mm -hmm. was artificially high. And certainly looking back, no question. I mean, I wish for, I, know, I own Amazon again, but I wish I would have held it, you know, from the early days. Right. Yeah. Um, now, I don't see a parallel there with a Tesla where Tesla is not you know, putting all their money back in. I mean, they're struggling with revenue. They started money, to yeah. generate revenues now, but it's a different scenario, uh, in my opinion. It's not. It's not really an apples to apples there. To your point, though, does a PE ratio, a high PE ratio, mean that the company cannot succeed? Absolutely not. It's just mm -hmm. one of those starting points. You know, price to PE, price to earnings, price to book. You know, there's lots of metrics that you would look at. So, no, very yeah. valid point. Um, that mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so Amazon is the prime example. But you don't see a lot of those out there. You don't. I, I do agree with you there. That's not the standard. And I think uh, it'd be dangerous to think that is. But, you know, another thing on the topic mm. of these traditional metrics, one of the things that I think potentially puts Tesla in that category of diamond in the rough, you know, mm. very, very unique and very, very one off. Mm. Tesla to me is one of these only companies that I publicly know of or that I know in the public market that can quarter after quarter, year after year, miss their deadlines. They can have these huge outrageous promises and Elon Musk says, we're gonna deliver X amount of cars here, we're gonna do all this, and they come nowhere close to that. And it's almost like Tesla shareholders come to accept that. You know, you, you know you've been following Tesla, I know you don't own Tesla, but you've been following it just out of interest for years now. And like, I remember having this discussion back when I was working for you talking about their deliveries, missing them and the shareholders in a weird way tend to not care. And how many companies can you say that about? You know, how many companies can you say, oh, we missed our deliveries by 500,000 units, whatever it is. And the share price doesn't tank 30%. Practically, you know, practically you, none. You see the, you see the reports and you know, the, the you're expected to, you know, earn a dollar 10 per, per share yeah. and it go and it comes in at a dollar eight and you know, the stock will drop 7% overnight, right? Just because of the, the small little misses like that. Um, very valid point. Now I would add to this discussion, Brandon, um, the fact that 
the Tesla shareholders are, you know, almost cultish in nature, mm -hmm. and and will stick through the company through thick or thin. To me, that's kind of irrelevant. They don't drive. They don't make the company. They don't sell more cars. They don't build better cars. They're Is investors. What's was that? In, in a question, I'd say, is it though with the recent GameStop, for example? Let's look at the GameStop situation mm. with the mm -hmm. Reddit investors, the retail investors. To me, that was a very, very eye-opening situation. Yeah. Where it's it's kind of coming to fruition. It's kind of proof that you know if you do have these cult-like followings and if you are able to get these movements behind companies, like they can have significant impacts in the performance of the company, right? Um, again, I'm just taking a, I'm taking a very <laughs> counter argument here, and you know yes. my opinion on Tesla to begin with. But what I'm what I'm getting at is that again, maybe this is just a young perspective, but with mm -hmm. but mm. and we've talked about this many times before, yep. but with technology changing, with the new ways of getting information, with the cult like followings that develop around these brands, and a Tesla is a prime case yeah. of it. Like, is there a chance that these traditional metrics just don't apply? We've in my opinion, you see it in the case of, you know, missing their quarterly earnings and that not being the biggest deal, very yeah. ambitious targets. Maybe people come to like that. And um, again, I, I do agree with you that valuation does matter at the end of the day, but it's just it's just something that I think a younger person may ask or may, may consider that um, maybe yeah. a, an older person wouldn't. No, probably true. And and when I, when I analyze a company, I mean, I look at those traditional metrics almost as a starting point. You know, you, mm -hmm. you do your fundamental, mm -hmm. but the, but that's something that um, sort of is ingrained in me to do that. Whereas, yeah, I'm not gonna go on and look at a game stock and say, because a Reddit stream has knocked the price up a thousand percent. I'm looking at an investment, which mm -hmm. to me, and for most of the people who, you know, certainly follow our channel and, and are mm -hmm. interested in accumulating wealth for their retirement years or to buy a house down the road, you're not looking for something where you're in and out in two weeks. When we talk about, and, and I hope Tesla isn't like this, but when we talk about, you know, the the, um, uh, the GameStops of the world or the AMCs, AMCs, yeah, uh, most of the people, keep in mind, and I, I mean, I don't have the the the, the stats or the, the evidence to bear this out, but it happens over and over. Most of the people who made the money on that are the early adopters. And you know they wrote it up. Every second comment you got on your YouTube stream was, you know, mm -hmm, buy this, mm -hmm, buy that. Mm -hmm. And then if you look at the cat, the flows of when the the you know the the trading that went into those companies, it was close to the peak, typically at the peak. And so most usual, investors yeah. lost money. Because they buy, is yeah. there a parallel between the the pump? You know, I would almost call it a pump and dump, but pumping them up. I don't even see Tesla as that. I see Tesla as much more than mm -hmm. a company. And so I, I didn't mean to say that that's what that was a parallel. I'm just saying that the fact that that happened, the potentially may in, the influence that it has, yeah. is that not a variable to consider that um, yeah. that may set a some company aside from from a normal company. Let's call it. I, I suppose, and if it, it you know yeah. it could it could allow you know to, I guess to your point, it could mm -hmm. allow a company. Like, you know, I, I remember looking back a number of years ago where Tesla was, you know, debt deadlines, debt deadlines, debt deadlines. Mm -hmm. Going out and raising money has never been an issue. And a mm -hmm. lot of that is because there's people willing to put money in, right? So mm -hmm. to your point, Brandon, uh, maybe the fact that they do have these loyal followers who are willing to, you know, almost take a blind eye to mm -hmm. what really makes a company run because there's mm -hmm. tremendous potential. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Kudos. You're right. That could help them 
be sustainable for the longer term, whereas a company without that following would have run out of money a long time ago and they would have gone to the market and would have been able to raise it. So they'd be uh, you know, distant history at this point. Agreed. Yeah, I think no, that's I, a very I, good I, point. I, yeah, no, and I'm just, again, I'm t- I, I, the viewers of the channel know my opinion on Tesla. And again, it very much aligns with yours, but these are some of the things I do consider yeah. for a counter argument. And you know, with that, I, I'll actually transition to basically my second counter argument against this pick and then maybe we can transition to the Chinese stocks because I know this this video is already going longer than it's already pretty long but that's okay um one of the other things that I disliked about the video and not disliked about it but one of the things that just comes to mind is like to me I look at a company like Ford and it's just such an old traditional yeah. company yeah. you know kind of a Definitely, uh, at one point, a superstar in their area and a big competitor in the automobile industry, um, no question. But one of the questions I have for you is, do you think that you are also being biased, in a sense, to these companies that you grew up with and companies that have maybe passed their heyday? And, uh, you know, like you said at the top of this video, they're they're making some great advancements in new technologies and EVs and whatnot. And hey, um, I don't want to discredit that. But wouldn't you rather be on the more or less forefront of change, you know, sure. kind of getting on the side of technology and advancement than to latch onto an old company with that may be kind of on its way out and getting a last minute sure. um, I- injection. And, and the reason I say that, Dad, is I'll, I'll give you, you know, a, a little anecdote with me. You know, a few years back, uh, maybe three, four years ago now, I, I bought into GE, a company that, yeah. like, at one point was a powerhouse. So I'll put up the share price of GE. <laughs> this was even before my time, but um, any book I go back, any any type of thing that I study and read back, like GE was, GE was GE. The model. Right? <laughs> it was the model. And yeah, yeah. I also think to companies like IBM, which I know, again, before my time, but these companies were the the, the poster boys and the, the, the superstars yeah, of yeah. the day. Yet, they, I, I had a bad experience with GE. I ended up selling that investment for a loss. I tried to kind of take a value play. I went in, sure. I took a, a bigger loss for me at the time. Um, and it was a, it left a sour taste in my mouth to say, you know, maybe I don't want to latch onto these old companies that are that are yeah. past their prime. Why not take the take the gamble or take the leap on a new company? What are your thoughts on well, that? Well, and a couple of quick points on that. First of all, I did not own a Model T, so I'm older than you, but I'm not that old. Secondly, I just thought of this now. My very first car ever was a Ford Custom 500, a big green beast that I drove from. Uh, Brandon, Manitoba, out to Vancouver when I moved out here in '81. So, um, so Whoa. yeah, I do. Maybe there is subliminally to me um, some nostalgia. Uh, they're very That's well a good could word, be. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe I'm one of the Ford cultists. I'm not sure. Maybe um, now when I think back to when I evaluated today Ford versus Tesla, where we're at from the metrics. I don't believe that there, there was certainly no conscious awareness of that type of a thing. Um, to your point, I, I, I know, uh, you know, I, I'm going to name a few older companies um, okay. that that I think will, I don't think it's an issue that, that I really need to be concerned about. But if we look at Ford, for example, Ford was founded in 1903. I'm going, so it's old. Um, IBM 1911 and GE 1878. So those are the three companies we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Now, by the same token, I'm going to name a few companies. J.P. Morgan Chase 1799. It's live and well today and growing. Uh, DuPont 1802. Colgate 1806. Procter and Gamble 1837. And mm-hmm. right here in Canada, Fortis started in 1885 or his predecessor. Mm-hmm. Those are some companies that I I know you own some shares of some of those companies today. Mm-hmm. 
And the the fact that it's an, a dinosaur, I don't think means that it can mm-hmm. do well. Not at all. Does it mean it will do well? Absolutely not. And I know um, when the uh, during the recent Berkshire Hathaway AGM, they looked back at the behemoths of the day, mm-hmm. and I think it was thirty mm-hmm. years later they looked forward, and you know most of them don't exist in the same form, or they're certainly not leaders in their field. So, yeah, I don't think so, Brandon. I don't think that would influence me, but maybe beneath the surface somewhere there is a piece of that, but I don't think it should be a factor. You want history, but you yeah. know, you want you know 10 or 20 years of history. You don't need 100 or more years to prove a company's going to do well, but good yeah. question. Um, I'll, I'm, and I'm just looking at these stocks that you named there in this list, mm. you know, dating back. This is my first time looking at them. And, you know, one thing pops to mind right away. I, l- I look at, for example, a JP Morgan yep. or a, a Colgate or a Procter & Gamble or even a Fortis. Tremendous track records, tremendous histories of being in operation. But to me, what jumps out to me about those names is that they are in much more sustainable industries to succeed long term. And what, what I mean by that is if we were to look at a company like Ford in a very competitive, very cyclical uh, constant need for adaptations and constant need for yeah. new models and very very costly R and D uh, is ma- machinery. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's a very tough industry to be in. Even at IBM, which in technology, you know, you you got to be constantly evolving. You got to be constantly um, mm. changing and adapting sure. to the consumer's needs. I don't think it's fair to compare those to a company like Colgate or a company like Procter and Gamble, which are consumer staples, which pretty much year round people are going to be needing their stuff. Um, it's a little more, I would say it's easier for a company like Colgate or Procter Gamble or Fortis to sustain success 100 plus years down the because road. Because of the industry they're in. Because of the industry they're in. And again, I don't right. think we need to get too deep into that, but that is one thing sure. that pops to, that pops to my mind just with those names. But it's a very fair, a very fair point that you make. I, I really agree. Well, and that what, what this discussion reminds me of is as part of the Ford Tesla um, illustration, if you will, mm-hmm. I used an example of um, the, the evolution of Microsoft. And you know, I remember vividly mm-hmm. when Microsoft was being counted out. Now, you can't compare Microsoft, mm-hmm. a tech company, with Ford, an auto company, but the, the feeling was much the same. You're old mm-hmm. now, you're not keeping up, we're going in a new direction, uh, it's all digital, and Microsoft was able to make that transition. It, mm-hmm. they, were, they were laid out of the gate, but they made it. And now as one of the most valuable companies in the world again. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, who knows what the future will bring with a company like Ford or a Toyota or a GM or which, you know, whichever automobile manufacturer you want to look at. Mm-hmm. But I've lived through that scenario mm-hmm. where the old guys are being counted out. And then you know, they you know, down for the count for eight and they got back up and knocked the opponent out. So we'll see where that plays out. Only time will tell. But um, yeah, I, I think that... Made- that uh, that may be your experience talking there, and I, you've, if you've seen it before, again, that's something that that's a perspective that I can't bring to the table, right? Well, um, but that's very good that, point. And as I was thinking that. about this video today, uh, yeah, I do have obviously a lot more ex- like firsthand experience. You've read mm-hmm. the books, you've done the studies, I've lived through it, and that doesn't mean that. Well, certainly, I don't know it all, um, and that could be a trap. But you know, there's what's the famous mm-hmm. saying? If you mm-hmm. you know. If you don't know history, you're bound to repeat it, or something along those lines, right? And and you do learn from the past, um, and sometimes uh, you maybe we're slow to adapt. And and yeah, I'll, I'll I guess yeah. as an older investor, if I have to err on the side of two things, I got to err on the side of blowing up because I don't 
want to acknowledge the fact and you know the mm -hmm. old saying uh, this time is different in fact I there's a couple of, of uh, snapshots or headlines I'll, I'll, I'll put up here or mm -hmm. ask you to put up but mm -hmm. just this time is different is diff uh, this type is different is like for the the most dangerous words in investing right and yeah. again having lived through that personally mm -hmm. most uh, you know this discussion is much like we saw back in the tech industry uh, the mm -hmm. tech crash back mm -hmm. in 2000 2001 uh, where the old metrics didn't matter anymore mm -hmm. uh, well they did at the end and it True. didn't mean that every company I think of Cisco back in the day you know the one of the, I think maybe even the largest company in the world dropped, I believe, 80% in value through that crash. Mm -hmm. Now they, they're still around today. They survived. Most didn't, right? right. So yeah. yeah. So good, fair, yeah. good discussion. Uh, the experience is good in one hand, but it may hold you back uh, from and you know we've, we've talked about Charlie and Warren and you know uh, for years they didn't invest in the tech sector because they didn't understand it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and um, mm -hmm. that cost them a lot of money that or they left a lot of money on the table and I know Charlie now uh, is a, an advocate of the Chinese stocks I guess is what we're going to be talking about next but uh, yeah their traditional that... ways held them back a long time but then they've they've been evolving and, and adapting so maybe you'll maybe you'll teach me a few tricks here too well that's fair no that's um Hey everybody, it's Brandon here. I'd like to interrupt today's episode very briefly to remind you that if you're looking for more training in the Canadian stock market, don't hesitate to check out our Investing Academy. You can join our private membership group and get access to our top stock picks, trade calls, portfolio insights, and a variety of tools that are helping our members all across the country better their own investing journeys. All it takes is one great stock idea or tip, and that alone can cover years and years of your subscription to our membership group. If you're looking for some additional video training to broaden your knowledge and expand your understanding of the stock market in Canada, we do of course offer a fully video online training program where you can learn from the comfort of your home amongst a variety of students across the country. Both of these products can be found at www.theinvestingacademy.ca where you can sign up for them online or schedule a call with us to learn more. Now back to our scheduled episode. Yeah, let's move. Let's move on to the talks about Chinese picks. But sure. I just want to say, first of all, like, yeah, I, I, I really, really respect your opinion on all of that. Um, again, you already know that I, I do. If I had to pick a side, I, I, I do align with you there. And I, and I don't own Tesla. I, I guess more or less, if I had a takeaway, it's I don't think it's not that I think Tesla is going to continue to do so much better from this point on because yeah, mm. these multiples are just already so high. It's already one of the largest companies in the world and they have to kind of fill those shoes. But yeah. I, I guess my argument would be more or less that Ford is a company. Ford is not a company for me. Um, totally, uh, totally, yeah. totally understandable. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's a, there's a, it's like going to a buffet, right? And you can pick different types of meat Spring rolls, can, yeah exactly yeah, Some so people, we're yeah. at a buffet and i'm i'm going with the i guess the old uh you know traditional uh mashed roast potatoes. Beef yorkshire pudding and yeah. <laughs> so good yeah nice well yeah let's move on to the tencent alibaba pick and you kind of mm -hmm. preface that with charlie munger being a shareholder yeah. in alibaba and from what we know he's also down on his position as well as um myself i own both tencent and alibaba and yeah. i know those are stocks that i guess more or less wouldn't be would you say they're not suitable for you? Would you say they're not stocks that you would feel comfortable owning for yourself as an investor? What, what's what's yeah. your gig with the, with the Chinese stocks? 
um, two parts to it. Number one, those companies that you just mentioned and that you own, and as a matter of fact, as part of our you know portfolio challenge experience, we own them in the growth portfolio. I know we own Tencent for sure. We own Baba and as Baba, well, right? yeah, and Baba now, yeah. Um, so, if I looked at them as a company, and if their headquarters were you know New York or Atlanta or Boston. I would say, gee, we really need to have a piece of this action because they mm -hmm. are phenomenal, right? Mm -hmm. what, what they're doing, the direction they're going, absolutely. From an, an actual company perspective, um, I'm all in. Mm -hmm. Where you and I differ is the risk that's associated with that. And again, maybe going back to um, me being stuck in ways, but literally as a young advisor, so I would say probably in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, I remember being in a meeting with a, a portfolio manager who ran one of Canada's mutual funds back in the day. And the question that came up is in your portfolio, you, know, you don't have any Chinese stocks in there or any, mm -hmm. any Asian uh, exposure. And mm -hmm. the simple blunt answer was, um, I mean, no offense to, <laughs> to these companies, but the answer was, well, yeah, because my job is to analyze companies and make decisions based on that information. And you can't trust the thing you read from the reports or what you hear. And um, his comment back in the day was until that's fixed, where we can you know, look at an annual report, look at the, you know, the footnotes and trust, and, it, yeah. and trust them. It's one thing if you're taking your own money and doing that. But in this case, um, he was a fund manager, mm -hmm. uh, a portfolio manager for one of Canada's largest um, you know, global mutual funds. Well, yeah. he was now responsible for other people's money. Mm -hmm. So he didn't feel that he could take that risk essentially. And I'm in that exact same camp. Mm -hmm. um, simple uh, line, if I look at those companies with the risks that are inherent, and I know we're gonna talk about a couple of examples today of what those risks really are. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm gonna take that 2% of my portfolio or 5% of my portfolio or whatever I would have in a position like that. I'm going to look for something. Just cross it off the list. Uh, it's off limits. I, I, well, yeah, I'm not going to look at it. And do you miss some opportunities because of that? Absolutely. But there are some, you know, there's always great opportunities out there. And mm -hmm. I would rather look at something else. I've had this rule since I was young, since I started investing, that if, if you, um, when I buy a company today, I look at, I look 10 years out and say, quite simply, will this company be around in 10 years? Forget what it's done up or down, or, but will it be there in 10 years? And um, I can't imagine a company that I would own that the answer to that would be, I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. like a Coca-Cola, I own Coca-Cola. I predict they will be there um, 10 years from today. Mm -hmm. A company like, like uh, Tencent, may they be there? Sure, but there's a real risk that you won't be able to invest in it. And when that, you know, because of the Chinese laws, and mm -hmm. if, it, if that happens, they're not going to say, by the way, in, you know, June of 2022, we're going to remove that from the stock exchange. It's going to happen overnight. There's all mm -hmm. kinds of buzz about it. So you can anticipate. And the fact that there is that buzz, that gives me red flags. And, um, you know, even with my own money, I'd rather look somewhere else. Here's, sorry, go on. Yeah, oh, I'm saying you're so a younger you're investor. So I'm, I'm yeah. curious as to your take on the risk element of it. Right. Well, before I go into that, I'll happily share my opinion on that. But one thing that I just want to touch on when you said, for example, that fund manager um, in the 1990s, not wanting the, the Chinese exposure question for you. Fast forward yeah. 30 years later to today. Yeah. If that fund manager was still here, still doing his thing, maybe he is or he or she. Yeah. Um, 
do you think they have Chinese exposure now? Because 30 years from when you talked about that, yeah, I think as, and I touched on that on my video too, I said, it's very fair that looking back a couple decades, when you look at the financial reports, when you look at the accounting, yeah, there has been improvements. I think in a, in a major way that people tend to overlook, okay. but like a 30 year time period, I think is um, quite a long time to still be in that frame of mind. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's uh, maybe splitting hairs, but I think we're looking at probably a 25 ish yeah, year okay, time yeah, period. Yeah. 20, sure. 25, 30. I, I, don't, I, was rounding, I, was, I was rounding up to make rounding it up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay, I got it. <laughs> no, just, just to be accurate there. But um, my my answer to that is probably not with this person. And if if he had those true beliefs, you, mm -hmm. you know, you never know. He might have just been saying that to make a point. Mm -hmm. no, if he had idea. those those true convictions, I don't see that enough would have changed recently and especially now we're hearing all kinds of of like say threat, chatter threat yeah uh and so it's still apparent is what you're saying yeah well to me the risk is yeah. very apparent yeah and yeah. and i do i do agree with that and I, I do totally acknowledge that to kind of move on to where my thoughts on the risk play um it's not to downplay those it's not to uh, ignore those because you're right, right. I, I think things have gotten significantly better but there still absolutely is that risk that is mm -hmm. a legitimate uh, concern and a legitimate factor that you have to consider when you're um looking at that market my two th my my thoughts are that with these two companies in particular they are so large and they're so multinational as as i've touched on i don't want to repeat myself yeah. but they're so truly involved in the global system right. that you know, it'd be a different story if, you know, we looked at a very, very small Chinese company, right? right uh, yeah. Part of the market that maybe is a little less certain. But these these companies like an Alibaba, for example, are so developed and so multinational that, yes, the threats are still there. But to me, it's... Is it is it um, is it possible? Yes, these, these types of things can happen. And that's, uh, I think, if with every investment, you have to basically play the odds and say, well, is there an sure. odds of this happening? Are the odds of making a good return? And you got to weigh that out. And I think for me as a younger investor, I'm willing to acknowledge those those odds that there is a chance that these companies do get delisted. There's a chance that these companies, um, you're not able to invest in them here from the North American markets. You can always go buy them on the Hong Kong exchange. But because these companies are so multinational and so large um, in, in their scale, mm. in their scope, yeah, it, I question whether they would be uh, not subject to that because they would, but it, it kind of, it, it gets me thinking a little bit that I tend to believe that that's not going to happen. That's my, that's right. my, my, my side of the bet. Um, maybe I'm just being too conservative and, and, you know, but maybe you're not, you know, maybe in yeah. the sense I'm being too risky uh, in, in many regards, because it's right. funny, like, as I was saying that I was thinking back to our, our, our first part of this video, we're talking about these big behemoth companies, like, you know, the GEs, the IBMs and, you know, companies can't be too big to fail right some do yeah. these big yeah. big companies do yeah. fall so especially with uh with a government like china i i do agree that there you know anything can happen um but as i touched on in that last video it's it's i by trying to understand their motives i, I don't believe that's what they're after and that's just a personal opinion there this uh, takes me back to um i guess probably around 1996 ish or so uh, and uh, we were at the Abbotsford Air Show in Abbotsford, BC. And we, we, were, we, you and I were there. And um, 
we uh, the show was over and you were quite impressed. You were one-ish uh, at the time. And um, when we were walking back to the car, I was holding your hand and all of a sudden you just bolted out of my hand into, you know, you saw something that attracted your attention and you evaluated the risk of running into traffic quite differently than I did. Right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. mind you, the consequences, the consequences then would have been much worse than if you lose your position in 10 cent. Right. But, yeah. um, but you know, that's an extreme example of how absolutely, I think what you're talking about is our, our assessment of the risk is quite different. And so we mm -hmm. will make a decision based on that. Now I will take a moment to say, if you have, um, 2% of your portfolio in a company like Tencent and overnight it disappears. Mm -hmm. Most investors will survive that. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of investors who have a very, very concentrated portfolios because they're mm -hmm. in love with the company and Some are all that's, in, yeah. that's where the danger really comes in. Now I, I believe that for most part of an investor's lifespan, the every position in the portfolio should be meaningful and it should uh, be there for a reason that's well thought mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's just be like, I heard something, so let me put it in. Um, so, uh, I mean, I'm not a, gee, if I, I'm not a gambler. So, you know, if I, if I was going to take two or 3%, I would put it into something that I feel comfortable with. Would it be catastrophic if you lost that position? Of course not. Mm -hmm. But you also got to be sure it's not indicative of, well, I've got Tencent, I've got BABA, I've got X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. um, that So now all of a sudden you look and you've got 15 or 20% of your portfolio in that mm -hmm. VIE structure, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, which I hope we can talk about for a little bit. And, yeah. um, and uh, then, then now the risk profile is, ho is higher than I certainly would be comfortable with. So um, if, Absolutely. If, if your investment policy statement says, yes, I'm willing to put X into risky stocks, mm -hmm. understanding that I could lose that money, then, mm -hmm. then hey, I would pick a company that has the potential uh, like a like a ten cent for sure, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's um, we can talk about the VIE structure in a moment. But when you mentioned they're gambling, it just it got me thinking. Um, I know you don't gamble. I know you're not much of a gambler. Um, in yeah. fact, I know I don't think you really gamble at all. At all. <laughs> but and and that, that may be the difference between you and I. You know, sure. um, if I'm at the blackjack table and mm. I get dealt, if I get dealt an eleven off the bat and the dealer draws a six. Some people would just say, hey, hit me. I'll just play that out. You know, the odds are in your favor in a, in a hand like that. Yeah. Uh, but you always have the option to double down. And I think when the opportunity is there, if your uh, situation calls for it, and I know you've mentioned that, you know, maybe for me, this right. is more suitable. But right. if your situation calls for it, I think that this, you know, being a younger investor, being someone that, like you said, is not going to get crippled by this. You know, I'm not yeah. in retirement or anything. Um, it's opportunities like that that you can strike on and take the chance on um, factoring in the risk, factoring in the the, the right. fact that you're putting more risk on the table, but that's how you can strive for more growth. And that's the way I really approach it. But yeah, maybe we'll touch sure, really brief. Maybe we'll touch briefly on um, you mentioned a VIE structure. What, what are the couple of the main things that that just say for you? This is off off bounds, like off limits. Well, um, just for those who may not know, VIE is a variable interest entity. Um, mm -hmm. And when you own a company like, um, I'll just use Tencent as an example, like um, when I buy a company, you always look at the structure of security. So if you buy a bond from the company, for example, and the company goes bankrupt, you have claimed the assets ahead of a common shareholder. If you buy preferred shares, there's a, there's a structure, a ladder, if you will, and you know the common shareholder is right down at the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. but, and there's more protection ahead of that. 
but you do have a claim to the company. The way mm -hmm. that a VIE structure works is um, the, there's a, a company set up, an entity set up, typically in the Cayman Islands, and you don't actually own any part of the company. This is a Chinese company and it is illegal in China to have foreigners own your company. So as a way to get around those rules, um, they set up a shell. Can, yeah, it, it is a shell company. So and what that shell company owns is contracts with the parent company, essentially, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. says um, if you put your money here, you, you know, you can exchange it for value in the company. But at the end of the day, um, if something happens with that company, you, you don't have anything. This, this structure is in the eyes of the Chinese illegal. So if you go back to them after the fact that you've lost your money on Tencent and said, I want my money because I have this contract, they'll say, well, the contract's illegal. You can't enforce that. Mm -hmm. And I have a couple of examples and a lot of people don't probably don't know this, but I made a couple of notes here. I'm old enough to remember back when Enron, the Enron scandal occurred back in 2001, and this was all part of the tech crash. And the, they, they, you know, basically they had um, misled, they had um, wrong accounting information that led you know, their revenues to look so high, their profits to look so high, and people were pouring money into, into Enron. When the scandal mm. broke and was discovered, you know, they blew up and there were some of their top guys who ended up getting jail time because of it. And uh, my point on this is, that the VIE rules were were restructured following that, so they were essentially a precursor to the to the VIE, and this is right here in North America. So um, even in the U.S., the rules were restructured to um, fix this problem up. Now, if we take that and go to China, um, a couple of examples that come to my mind: um, 2011. So a okay. lot of people, everybody knows who Alibaba is, mm -hmm. and a lot of people know Alipay and um, Alipay was originally part of Alibaba. And back in the day, Yahoo, the company, the North American company owned 43% of Alibaba and a big chunk of that value was Alipay. Mm -hmm. Well, overnight, you probably know this Brandon, but I think a lot of people mm -hmm. don't. Overnight, Alipay was just stripped out of Alibaba. So the government said, you can't have Alipay in Alibaba for whatever reasons that they decided, I think it was related to just control over the, the, the money, the, the flow of, of cash. They didn't want foreigners having access to that. And um, they said, as of tomorrow, this Alipay yeah. is no longer part. So Yahoo, um, at that point, lost a big chunk of their investment because the mm -hmm. value of Alibaba was just overnight stripped out. And they were essentially helpless. There's nothing they yeah. could do. They're, they couldn't yeah. work. So, um, I guess the point there, now they did, uh, you know, through litigation, they recovered some of the money through other means, but uh, nothing near what the actual value of their investment was. So that, you know, strikes yeah. me as being dangerous. Now, another example, just a classic example, um, in 1995, there was a lady, uh, I think the richest woman in the world or in China for sure, Nina Wang, and okay. she invested through her charitable foundation uh, $11 million in the Mingsheng uh, Bank. And as the years went by, and this was in a VIE structure, and in fact, okay. it, the, the deal was structured to get around the rules that the Chinese mm. government had in place. Her mm. stake grew to $815, uh, $815 million. So a, a tremendous investment. 
uh, again, overnight, or when she went to, uh, well, she died, I think it might have been her estate, went to say, you know, we're going to, um, we want our money. And the, uh, the government said, you can't have it because this is in an illegal structure. It went to court. And recently, uh, the Chinese Supreme Court, well, I believe it was in 2013, the ruling that the Chinese Supreme Court ruled that those shares were invalid and that investment was lost. Again, there was subsequent litigation. I'm not sure exactly how that came to play, but this is the things that can happen in that yeah. DIE structure. There's just no security, not much to go back on. Another very, very quick example is recently, you know, the, uh, the Ant Group was um, uh, scheduled to go for an IPO earlier this year and about two days before, uh, that was canceled. And right. you know, that was, I, if I'm not mistaken, what I've learned, uh, that was because Jack Ma, who was involved with you know, the Alipay, Alibaba mm -hmm, scandal mm -hmm. almost back in the day, said some negative things and you know, overnight, boom, the whole IPO mm -hmm. was canceled. So this is the power yeah. that the Chinese government has. You, I mean, the, the, the North American governments have a lot of power you know, for, uh, against monopolies and what have you, but nothing to the extent that we're seeing here. Again, I'm just going back to, mm -hmm. I have a choice. I'm going to yeah. pick something where it can't just disappear overnight. So that's your thoughts fair. on that, Brad? No, I, you, you know, you, you can't argue with that. And when you invest in China, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. It's basically like they have, they have full say on what happens. And I guess your perspective is that you don't want to put your, you don't want to sure. put your money somewhere where the, the government can come in and just overnight say something. Um, I, I respect that. And again, mm. I, I tried to kind of say this at the top of this video or at the top of the section, but my, my my opinion on that is that let's try to understand what the cpp or what china government ccp um, what what their cpp <laughs> i've been seeing so many of your you're thinking, CCP of, you're thinking videos. of retirement yes. already <laughs> oh jesus this stock's gonna get me there but um yeah basically yeah um the government my thing is yeah. let's try to understand what their motives are you're absolutely correct that at any point they can just put the hammer down and just say, hey, this cannot be this way. This cannot be this way. That is right. how that government works. And for many people, there's too much risk to say, sure. like even bother. But for my opinion, it's, well, hey, let's try to understand what they're trying to put in place. Let's try to understand why these regulations are coming in. And from mm. my perspective, as I touched on in my last video, um, I actually believe that they are actually trying to kind of even the run. They're trying to make it a more even playing field for the long term. Mm -hmm. um, they're not trying to screw these companies over. If Jack Ma is going to come out here and start, you know, disrespecting them, they just want companies to play within the rules, I guess you could say. And um, that's my take on it, uh, more or less. But I, I do agree with you. If, if that's outside of the realm of if that's just, um, it's just too much of a risk to take for many people. I, I do agree that I can't argue with that, right? Uh, it, it, it's interesting because I know um, you played a lot of basketball in your high, through your high school years, and um, mm -hmm. the odd game um, you fouled out. Mm -hmm. um, and in your opinion, you were playing within the rules, but the referees screwed up, right? And so you know, I always said to you guys when you were little, if you're you know, you the referees have the power; they can kick you out of the game if they want, even if you do nothing wrong. And so I, I, I absolutely understand, and I, I'm not saying that the government is trying to crush these companies. Clearly, they're not. Mm -hmm. um, I agree that in many of these instances, they are doing, I agree with you totally, they're doing what's best for they're the doing what's best for viability the, right? of the people, right? Um, like of, we of see the, here with the anti-competitive rules and laws, etc. So we're on the same just, page there. They're just a, sure. they're a little more savage. They're a little more cutthroat. Uh, I shouldn't say a little more. They're a lot more cutthroat. And I think if a company's off bounds, if a company's offside, they're going to pay the price. Um, but 
Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, and really what this whole discussion comes back to is, is risk. And what mm -hmm. am I willing to accept as an, inve an, an investor? And what are you willing to accept? I think that's really what it comes down to. Some good points. And I hope people who are watching can say, you know, maybe I've learned some things here that I need to consider. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I mean, there's people who buy penny stocks every day, right? And there's a tremendous amount of risk, but mm -hmm. they still do it. Right. right. So uh, we're not saying that you can't, you know, or shouldn't even invest in some of these companies. I'm not saying that. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, just understand what you're buying and make that decision like everything else and uh, put your money in, yeah. put your money where your mouth is and uh, let it rip. Close your, eye, close your eyes and pray to the gods. <laughs> put you, exactly. See which way the wind's blowing. Yeah. But no, we say that somewhat, somewhat uh, jokingly, I, I assume. Yes, yeah, but yeah. no, you, that was a really that was a really good way to kind of summarize things, Dad. Because that that is the point of this video was to show two different perspectives, and mm -hmm. we touched on it at the top that in any investment there's going to be two different opinions. There will be multiple multiple opinions, and you as the investor need to formulate yours, right? You need to decide. Well, hey, let's assess my own situation. Let's assess my time horizon. How much money I have? Am I in a position to take on more risk? Am I in a position sure. to take on no risk? A certain stock may be very suitable for one person, but completely unsuitable for another. And as part of being a, a DIY investor, if you're watching this channel, you're managing your own money, the onus is on you to decide okay. where that, that it is. You don't have an advisor working for you. You don't have a professional working for you. Mm -hmm. It's you that has to make that decision of, of where you fall on that spectrum. So I think we did a good job today of, of, of basically achieving the two different basically displaying the two different are, opinions and mm -hmm. and yeah as, as we've touched on multiple times throughout the video dad we do still agree on 99 percent of things yeah. and there's just these odd cases where the the differences do come and i think yeah. it's as you said it's healthy it's normal it's two brains are better than one that's that's um that's just well, the way it is one of the disadvantages i think a diy investor has is that you typically don't have anybody to bounce these ideas off and mm -hmm. you may take in some information in one ear and then go like okay how am i going to act on that over here and right. i i that's a that is a distinctive disadvantage so uh, yeah having at least two people to bounce it off of or a community that you can do that uh, is very very helpful and even you know when i was working as an advisor um, the advisors were constantly chattering with each other about what's your thoughts on this or what's your take on that and and you share that information um, and so, yeah, this is good, healthy stuff um, in our portfolios. We have the two separate portfolios that we're managing in our, um, it's not really a challenge, but it's, you know, building the portfolio and we have yeah. the growth and we have the, uh, the uh, balance. And I think we're going, well, we've seen recently over time in a very condensed period, a few months of the differences between being more aggressive in one and being more conservative in the other. Already, yeah. times where we already see that. And if, if you oh, yeah. haven't, if you, the viewers, if you haven't seen that, uh, that video, I think we are that series. We probably have five or six videos out now, starting back uh, earlier this year. And mm -hmm. our goal in that is to show um, over time how the markets and the economy at different time periods will affect a more aggressive versus a, a more conservative portfolio. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, let's say we're living through that right now. And uh, when the glory days come back uh, for those companies, we're going to see a pop there on that side of it. So, so, so Good. true. Yeah, well, I'm well, so glad that uh, we do see eye to eye on most things, and clearly, we wouldn't be doing this together if we didn't. And and you know, you you know, you learn so much when you're working with me, and uh, but you're taking your spin on it. it's kind of like the core, and then explore, right? So you're you're uh, right, and that's I think, and that's how every, that's how every investor should be, right? Um, you should never follow somebody's advice 
to the T every single thing. Like if you guys are learning from us as, as um, our subscriber base, hmm. take in as much information as you can, absorb as much of our philosophies and beliefs, and then t tailor it to yourself. I think that's how every investor, you know, every person is different. Every investor's their own investor. So you have to find a strategy that works personally for you. And uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I think objectives I think we, are different. Timeframes are different. All those core things that when you're managing money, what's the end use of that money will always factor in. Right. Good. Yeah. And this video, I'm looking at our time frame here. It's been it's long. long. Yeah. It's long. It's I had long. to go. I had to charge my battery. If you didn't notice that. Halfway oh, through I saw your, you leave the screen. Halfway through your spiel. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it was about to die. But no, it's um. yeah, I think we can wrap it up there because let's wrap it up. Yeah. If you guys have stuck through this entire video, you are a real one and i want to no, say thank I'm you impressed. i'm impressed we're impressed that's uh that does mean a lot to us that you care for our opinion and that you can take the time out of your day to watch what we have to say if you guys enjoyed this video and liked to hear the difference in opinions please do give us a big thumbs up and uh, as i said let us know down below what you think do you agree with one of us more than the other um do you agree with both of us what, what is it do you disagree with what we have to say all of that can be left down in the comment section below you mentioned there a really great point, Dad. When it comes to DIY investing, just having that community to bounce people, bounce ideas back off of, and just to be surrounded with others is so critical and so crucial. And hopefully, we're doing that here for free for you guys to be able to, you know, in the comment section, absorb on the channel. That's really what we're doing here for Canadians. But we also have it a step further. If you do want to check out our investing academy, we got a monthly membership group, um, lower ticket. We have a training program if you want to basically learn everything and go kind of gung-ho on learning everything. You have both those options, but you can learn all about that by clicking the first link down below. I think with that, we can wrap it up and uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of our Sunday. This year. could set a record for our longest joint video, maybe our longest video period, but uh, ever, yeah. So. yeah. But it's been it, awesome. It could be. Um, I'd like to do this type of thing more often. Time flies. Actually. Time flies when when we're when I'm flies. chatting with oh, you. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, let's Alrighty. wrap it up, Brandon. All right. Well, thank you guys all for tuning in. Uh, well, more videos coming soon. Hope everyone's enjoying their summer. Dad, great to see you. Nice and, to see uh, you, Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you soon. Hopefully in person. Yeah. Sometime this this month. Sounds great. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks. Thanks everybody. for thanks for watching. See you guys in the next video.